Welcome to season four of the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. How you doing, Marshall? Good. Yeah. Did you guys have a good Christmas? We did, yeah. Well, we got, I mean, we got, like everyone else around here, kind of got snowed Dumped in. Dumped on? Yeah, snowed in Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Um, but yeah, then we did we did the family thing once the roads got plowed and it was good. A lot of running around. Girls mm-hmm. are all hopped up on chocolate. <laughs> yeah. So many new toys coming into the house. We have to like purge the existing batch of toys. Right. So that's good. That always feels good. Candace and I kind of donated a whole trunk full of stuff yesterday. That always feels nice. Yeah. I like it when stuff comes out of the house rather than goes into the house. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tim? How was your Christmas? You know, it was it was kind of the same, except we had some... Uh, some sickness to deal with. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of threw a wrench in it. We ended up not doing Christmas until Boxing Day. Okay. Which yeah. I guess is then Unboxing Day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was good. It, it went to, finally made it to Kitchener to see Lindsay's family. Nice. Uh, last night. So everything just got bumped back a couple of days. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Yeah, that's kind of how it worked for us, too. All right, season four. Season four. Is apologetics. We are going to do, we did a year of reading through the Bible chronologically. We did a year of catechism, a year of theology. Uh, Then we did a year of uh, church history. And now we're going to do a year of apologetics. We noted in a very brief podcast meeting, it doesn't always have to be a year of yeah. It did in the first one. Yeah, sure. You can't you have to do a read through the Bible in a year in a yeah. year. Yeah. It's just kind of where we landed and what we're doing. Yeah, that's the plan. Anyways. Year of apologetics. Yeah. That's that's the plan. Deo Valente. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. It's exciting. And I know that a lot of we you know, we've heard from some of the listeners that they're they're excited about where we're gonna be going this year. Yeah. And I'm excited about where we're going to go. Right. So the format this year is going to be uh, very much like it was for uh, the catechism episodes, where we we read the question, we talked about why the question matters, and then we answered the question. Hmm. Uh, so what we're going to do in these episodes is we're going to ask the question, what is the question of the day? Uh, and then we are going to talk about why it's a pertinent question, why it's a question worth answering. Uh, there will be some questions that will take multiple episodes. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we'll we'll work that out sure. as we go. Sure. Uh, but then we'll get into answering the question. So today's question is? What is apologetics? And it's kind of a second part of why, why does it matter? Or yeah. Why, why is it worth doing? Yeah. What is apologetics and why why do a podcast on it? Sure. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Why is this an important topic to discuss? Well, I think what we're going to find um, as we dive deeper into the subject of apologetics, I, I think uh, this is a worthwhile endeavor because I think it's going to provide people with the reasoning behind the convictions that we hold to as Christians, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just so much teaching what is it that we believe, that was kind of the, the catechism year was really focused on that. What, what sure. do we believe? Yep. This is kind of like, how can we have confidence 
enough to believe those things, right? Um, So I think, you know, that's for me anyways, I I find that to be one of of the good reasons why we're going to get into this. Yeah, I, I think... I think that this is an important thing for a couple of reasons. One of them is it's the number one way that the faith is attacked. Sure. And has been for a long time. Yeah. Right? Uh, people like to come in and, and do—we we talked about uh, liberal theology in Germany um, in the last century and how the notion was just Christianity is for those who aren't academic. Right. 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 If you use your brain, you're not a Christian, mm-hmm. right? That was their push. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also the push in the Enlightenment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? It, it, it wasn't necessarily a new thing. And uh, even though even though it's just hardly been 100 years since some of those German thinkers were starting to push that, um, I, I, I can't say that it's ever gone away. But it's definitely flaring again. I would say so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and, and the truth is, we're going to come to see that the truth is, a lot of the stuff being pushed against Christianity or being pushed just as secular worldview, uh, people blindly follow in the same way that they would incur- would say Christians do. Oh, for sure, yeah. Right? <laughs> and put very little thought or time or energy into actually looking for an answer. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, the beautiful irony of, of that particular comment. So, so yeah, I, I would say, one, it's it's the number one way that people come against the church, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we see, man, we see this so much uh, with high school students who aren't prepared. Yeah. And they go into university. Yeah. And they go through a biology class. Um, yeah. And, and they end up, believing whatever this professor said right? Uh, because they were never taught yeah. to reason through their faith. Um, the, the second reason that I would say that this really matters is apologetics is misunderstood within the church. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we go about it the wrong way. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, when they think about apologetics, they either dismiss it or they get really excited about it uh, based on the notion that what apologetics is, is the gotcha moments. Right. <laughs> and if I can memorize enough gotcha moments, right. then I can, I can, in the most righteous sense, win over my friends and family around me. Mm-hmm. In the most carnal sense, I can shut them up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Yep. And it's, and it's, it's like... Christian version of debate club. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's, and it's not either. It's of those. not that. Yeah. So let's get into then let's dive a little bit deeper. Cause you said, you mentioned a couple things there that are, are things that I think we can, we can unpack over the next, the next few minutes here. I think that the first thing that for some people who aren't familiar with apologetics, the first mm-hmm. thing we need to realize that apologetics is not apologizing. Right. In the way that we understand it. I I've heard, I've heard this so many times. Apologetics. Yeah. I don't need to apologize for right. what I believe. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> right. It's not apologizing. It is. I mean, you could say that is it is related. It, what it is is there, there's some different definitions here that I just kind of pulled. Um, reasoned arguments in justification of something. 
typically mm-hmm. a theory or religious doctrine. So, so reasoned arguments. Um, another definition was just systematic argumentative discourse. So systematically being able to respond to, to arguments in, in conversation and debate or whatever. So there, there's an aspect of like debate and discussion, an answer and response thing. But again, not the gotcha moment is not the, the ultimate mm-hmm. goal, right? Right. I think a passage of scripture, there's a couple of verses out of First Peter 3, that really encapsulate, I think, the heart of apologetics, as, as Peter's writing to the early church. Um, so First Peter three fifteen and 16, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So when I when I saw that, when I was reading that passage and reflecting on it, I... I I came up with a just a very brief list of like maybe some helpful guide rails of mm-hmm. you know apologetics. Um, the first one being in in the context of that passage, just being honor Christ as holy in your hearts. Like there, there's a personal worship and devotion aspect of this. Oh, right, one hundred percent. Right. So, and we've already kind of kind of touched on that, right? This idea that like if you are not honoring Christ as holy in your hearts, the being able to answer kind of is irrelevant. <laughs> right. And this was really a light bulb moment for me in when when I was going through my MDiv. Okay. Uh because I was I was all about apologetics. I was uh I, I wouldn't say that I was was that guy with apologetics. It was just like constantly wrapped up in it. Mm. Uh but I was I was pretty interested. Um and and mostly for that capacity to answer intelligently, maybe out of pride mm. more than anything else, mm-hmm. uh, and and a required text. Uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite books mm-hmm. on apologetics and resources mm-hmm. that people might want to grab if they're if they're interested in the subject. Um, I, I have no clue how to say that name. I just presume it's French and that there's a lot of letters that aren't actually getting pronounced. I think it's Dutch. Is it Dutch? Okay. Grutus. Grutus? Yeah. Grutus? So G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S. I was just banking on you knowing the answer. <laughs> I uh, don't. Douglas. I've seen the name before. Yeah. Doug. Doug. Dougie. Dougie boy. Dougie says uh, he, he divides apologetics into primary and secondary mm. functions. The primary function is devotional. Yeah. Given, giving a reason for the hope that you have is secondary. First, you've got to have the hope. For sure. Yeah. Right. No, and amen. you've got to have reasons for your hope mm-hmm. before you can share those with other people. Yep. And and I would say guarding against doubts of faith and seasons of doubts in faith, apologetics has been the primary tool in my toolbox. Yeah. In those struggling moments. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So the the personal devotional aspect is is key. Um, Peter also talks about just the idea of being ready, right? And in order to be ready, like to be ready for anything, right? So mm-hmm. your family got ready for the storm that mm-hmm. we hit, right? You guys went out, you guys got a generator, got you got some groceries. Oh, you didn't get a generator? No. Oh, that's too bad. I thought you were getting... No, we got a little space here. Oh, okay, whatever. Sorry. 
Yeah. Anyways, so I know other people who got generators. Anyways, but you, you get the things. Like you mm-hmm. put in the work to be ready for the thing that's coming, and you don't know exactly when it's going to come, and you don't know how bad it's going to be. But you're you've you've done some some work. You've laid a foundation for yourself to to be ready. You're equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, talks about making a defense or giving a reason. Right, yeah. Not apologizing your faith, but being able to defend it and and explain it reasonably, right? Yeah. So it is First Peter. Yeah. I think it's chapter to prepare your minds for action. Yeah. Is that First yeah. Peter chapter yeah, I th- one? I think that's the beginning of the yeah the epistle. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Right. Pre- preparing your minds, uh, but he also talks about doing this with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. Right. And remember, remember, folks, gentleness. Or meekness is not weakness; it's strength under control. Right, right. Like you can't you can't gently defend your faith if you are weak in your ability to do so. Like mm-hmm. if you can't competently defend your faith, you can't do it gently. You just suck at it. Yeah. Like right. And so so in order to do it gently, you need to be able to do it with strength, and then know where to draw the line, where to pull back, and how to do it in a edifying way rather than you know beating someone over the head with a hammer, but if you don't have that, if you don't have that strength to do it, then you, you're not in a good spot. Yeah, and, and I, you know, definitely, I'm two thousand years removed from the culture that he was writing into, and so mm-hmm. my ability to gauge the the cultural temperature is nil. It it that I keep wanting to say matters more today than ever. Again, I can't measure those things, right. <laughs> so that's just hyperbole. Uh, but today people are very interested in how you say it. Right. Even if it, even if not more so than what you said. Right. I think, I think, I think the gentleness aspect definitely matters a lot today because of how just people's sensibilities are different, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah, people are easily offended, right? People's feelings get hurt, um, seemingly more, you know, more so than, than they used to. Um, and so that just, and that's not something to just like, Oh well, shame on them for you know being too soft or whatever. It's like no, no, no. Adjust your tone, yeah, so that you can, so that what you're doing can be helpful mm-hmm. and meaningful, right? So if you know, hey, I'm gonna have this conversation with someone, and I know that in particular, you know, they, you know, they can get really bent out of shape or offended or hurt easily, then you know, you got to be particularly gentle in that in that scenario, right? Also, is just basic communication. Well, yeah, right. I mean, who whoever changed their mind, they're like, you know what? I thought this guy was wrong, but then he really came at me, and he was so so angry that I was just like, you must be right. Look how passionate and angry he is, right? It wasn't until he started spitting yeah. on me with his the way he was speaking until I realized he's onto something here. Yeah. This makes sense, right? You yeah. just don't have conversations that way, or you don't mm-hmm. you don't last in a conversation that way. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you last in a conversation by being under control. Mm-hmm. So do that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's yeah, good. Yeah. So I mean, it, wait, is it is it John Mayer? Yeah, John Mayer has. Does anyone ever recall changing their mind um, over something someone yelled loud one time? Okay, it's that's a destruction of the lyric, but it's from uh, Never Gonna Stop the World. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't recall. I know the song. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 a fair point, right? And uh, so so all these things kind of you know helpful guide guide rails from scripture as we kind of approach this 
this subject, right? And essentially, I mean, what is apologetics? I mean, in a sense, it, it is kind of being ready to, to answer questions, mm-hmm. right? Questions that we might ask ourselves or it might come from others, yeah. um, right? Like there's kind of like the basic ones, like how can, you know, how can a good God let bad things happen? Or how can we know that the Bible is true? Or hasn't mm-hmm. science disproved God? And, you know, all these these big questions, there's more specific ones too that I think we're gonna we're gonna unpack a number of these as the year goes on. In fact, we don't we don't even have like a finalized list yet. Like we're gonna we've got some that we know we're gonna get into for sure. And then we're also gonna kind of just kind of unpack this thing as we go. So right. it'll be an interesting process to to do uh throughout the year. Um, I think one, you know, one other thing that, um, I want to mention about this too, in regards to apologetics is the types of questions that are most important or the types of questions that are most commonly brought up are going to change. Like, mm-hmm. like over the course of history, the, the, the questions that like quote unquote matter most were very different for Christians in the Roman empire, very different for Christians in the middle ages than they are today. Right. And those questions, you know, those questions that matter most might might change. I think also where the person is coming from. Right. So like Western thinkers are going to be like, you know, they're going to be asking the questions about science disproving God or the authenticity of the Bible or mm-hmm. whatever. But East Eastern thinkers might it might be totally different. I I went on a bit of a, a spiritual retreat. I just needed a few days um, to myself to get, you know, caught up on things and, and kind of reset. This is a, a year ago, maybe. And uh, I went to this this like Airbnb that was kind of supposed to be like oh, a yeah. retreat center. I remember that. And I got there. It was essentially like an ashram. Like it was right. just like it was like, yeah. It's like each room was like done up with like diff- some different kind of like religious background in mind. I think mm-hmm. I stayed in like the Chinese Confucianism room. Yeah, you were like, I found this really cheap Airbnb. Yeah, it is great. I'm just gonna go hang out. And you came back and you're like, oh my gosh, it was it was that was crazy. It was wild. They had a float tank though. I did a float tank. That was cool. <laughs> it, but dude, it was it was wild. Man. To be clear, you didn't go for those reasons. No, no, you I went and found those reasons to be present. Yeah. So, but one of the one of the things that I found was I, I had a conversation with uh, a young guy who was like recently come over from India mm-hmm. who had kind of studied to be some kind of priest within Hinduism. And so, you know, he kind of came at me all of a sudden when he found out who I was and, mm-hmm. and what I believed. And the biggest thing for him was like, how can you believe in the physical nature of Christ? Or how can you believe that God would take on human form or that in the resurrection, we're going to have bodies? Mm-hmm. Because for them, like the highest goal is to escape your physical self. Right. Right. So like, that's a totally, those are totally different issues and questions that he's going to come at me with than, you know, someone who was born and raised in the Westwood. Right. And and so that's, I, I'm probably jumping to something that you don't want me to jump to yet. That's okay. Uh, that contextualization, mm-hmm. cultural contextualization really does matter. But it also, it also points out to us, uh, one of the other reasons that, that sometimes people will neglect within the church, they'll neglect this is like, I just believe my Bible and I tell people, you know, believe in Jesus, read your Bible, that's all you need, right? You know what you're going to find if you read your Bible? You're going to come across Paul, who was an apologist. Right. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. It's in his name. Yeah. Right, where his name's in it. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that was yeah, terrible. Yeah. We can we can edit that. Apologetics? Joke. Yeah, we can. <laughs> no, I like to keep it. I'll just yeah. keep it. We, <laughs> that... The edit was a joke in and of itself. We never edited anything. 
But but Paul mm-hmm. writes an apologetic about the resurrected physical body. Right, right. Why? Because the Gnostics have made the same claim mm-hmm. as these Eastern religions, right? The physical realm is bad. The spiritual realm is good. Mm-hmm. We must deny the physical, all things spiritual, right? And so Paul writes, and he's like, listen, if this were true, then da 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 Right. Right? That is what apologetics is. Mm-hmm. It's answering the statement. And so you can't say that it's new, Mm. Right, I, I always, it's it's a tricky thing to get into the even Jesus thing because what can happen is then you're like, oh, all of a sudden the red letters become more valuable than the rest of Scripture, as if the Holy Spirit isn't in charge of all of it. Right. Uh, but Jesus practices apologetics. Sure. Yeah. Right. With the uh, when he's when he's talking with the uh, uh, the Pharisees over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. He answers their arguments. They come at him with questions, and he answers them mm-hmm. and challenges them to, mm-hmm. to really think it through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so when people want to dismiss this and they want to say, well, I just read my Bible and I believe in it, and, and this is a new thing that was never there before, this has been here from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Answering people's questions has always been a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, the fastest way to lose people is to not answer their questions, yep. right? How many books have you read or stories have you heard of people leaving faiths that tell them to stop asking questions, mm-hmm. right? In Islam, people come up with questions. The imam says, don't ask questions. Mm. Just do what I tell you. And there's countless people who are just like, that's when I knew I was out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, the same the same is true in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So many people mm-hmm. who take questions to their priests, the priest refuses to answer them, and they walk away from Catholicism because they realize you won't answer my question because there's not an answer, mm-hmm. right? the The difference is we do have answers. Yeah. So yeah. one, why are you if you've got the answer? Why are you sitting on it? Right. Like, what value is that to anyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, to, to sit on it or hide the answer? Mm-hmm. And two, if you don't have the answer, that's a pretty good question. Maybe you should look into it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what? Because I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, there are a lot of people who would say, Tim is a Christian because he was raised as a Christian, mm-hmm. right? Dawkins would say that. Sure. Interestingly, interestingly enough, Dawkins' parents were Anglican. <laughs> So somehow he transcends even his own theory. <laughs> we can't all be as blessed. <laughs> but that's just not true. Sure, yeah. I it would be an utter waste of my time to to invest all of the energy that I invest into what I do just because it's my tradition, mm-hmm. my culture. Yeah. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in this because I've asked questions. I've dug deep, I've studied it, and it it is the only answer. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. All right, so why don't we d- dig a little into kind of the why are apologetics important? We kind of touched on it, you know, surface level, but I think, and I'm gonna maybe take a little bit of a, a bunny trail here for a second, because I think apologetics are, 
Before we get too deep into apologetics, we have to talk about worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gets a little philosophical here, but I'm trying not to go too off the rails. But a person's worldview is essentially just like the set of beliefs that touch on the most important issues yep. in, in life, right? It's how a person chooses to answer the most foundational questions. Why does the universe exist? Why do I exist? How mm-hmm. can we know things? How can we possess knowledge? What's good? What's right? What's true, right? The, the way you answer those questions make up a, a worldview. And there's a sense in which like worldviews can be kind of a personal thing, but also we can kind of group things together oh, sure. to common worldviews that are shared by, you know, millions, maybe even billions of people. Um, and so there's a Christian worldview, right? And so while Christians might differ on certain points of doctrine, and we just spend a year talking about why and how mm-hmm. that, that came about, committed Christians, I would say, um, can generally agree on these big questions and share a common worldview, you know, whether you're Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Brethren, oh, yeah. Baptist, whatever. And so if a worldview is what we believe, then apologetics is why we believe it, right? I think so. So that's, that's so like I was, I was kind of thinking about it because you always come up with these great analogies and I try mm. to come up with one. So tell me if this is, so a okay. Christian worldview, a set of beliefs without apologetics is like a bunch of bricks that are stacked neatly on top of each other. It looks solid, but it doesn't take much to push that thing over, mm-hmm. right? The apologetics is like the mortar that glues those things together and makes them solid. Yeah, I I like that. Um, I like that because there are so many elements of faith mm. of what we teach and understand that are dependent on truth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, I mean, you mentioned epistemology. How can we know what we know, right? Uh, because we live in a culture that is generations deep and, and I, I am with those who say we've moved on from postmodern thought. Right, right. I, I believe modern. <laughs> I believe that's true. Um, but at the same time it has been the fabric of Western society for so long that we're still very familiar with it. Of course. Right? And we 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 still use it when it's convenient. Right? And postmodern thought is just the, the empirical statement that there are no empirical statements. <laughs> there are absolutely no absolutes. And I'm absolutely certain of it. <laughs> the only thing that is true is that there is no truth. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, this is, this is going to be the second time I've dropped a lyric in this episode. Do it. Bright Eyes. Do you ever listen to Bright Eyes? Had a song, and in the song just sort of like, just drops it in. If you swear that there's no truth, and who cares, and why do you say it like you're right? Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And, and that's that's a secular artist, right? Yeah. Like not even a Christian yeah, guy who yeah. just has this notion of, <laughs> oh, be careful, <laughs> little mouth, what you say. Yeah, uh, seriously. And and so and so, trying to to carry all of these pieces mm-hmm. or to maintain some structure from these pieces, with a postmodern mindset, mm. it just doesn't work. Right. Like any one of them can be picked apart. Sure. Um, and, and that's where, yeah, the, the mortar that holds the wall together, mm-hmm. um, that connects the bricks and, and solidifies them. I like it. Yeah. Because like, like we, you mentioned earlier, like the classic trope of the kid, Christian kid raised in the church, goes off to university, you know, mm-hmm. and he's in his whatever philosophy 101 class. And the prof's like, 
why would a good God who's all powerful allow bad things to happen? He's either not all good or he's not all powerful, right? And then the kid's whole belief system is just like shattered, right? Mm -hmm. Whose fault is that? Yeah. Because I would say it's not the professor's fault. He's doing his job, right? It's his. It's not his job to call all the students, right? It's his it's job, job to, to challenge them. To challenge them. To ask questions, right? Right. We might not like where he's at, and and I'm you know, sure there's some profs that like see see it as an opportunity to like you know maybe they have a personal vendetta against people of faith, maybe. But that Christian student hasn't put in the work, or their parents, or their youth leaders, or their pastors it's haven't. Not a, the youth pastor. Yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? He's always an easy target, right? <laughs> he gets an hour with your kids a week, right? So it should be on him to prepare your children for, for university, right? Not 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 you. Um, no, so, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to play the blame game here, but, but trying to just reinforce the importance of doing apologetics, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot at stake. Yeah, right? I've, I've worked with a number of kids who firmly believe there was no answer because their parents didn't have an answer. right. Yeah. Which another reference will make Mama Bear Apologetics. It's mm. incredible. Okay. Mama Bear Apologetics is uh, a podcast. They've also written a book. Okay. And the notion is moms who understand apologetics as a means of discipling their kids and answering their own faith. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, those yeah. ladies are great. Yeah, but like I think there is a fear there. Like like you mentioned, like there's, like, so some people are convinced that there's no answer because their parents haven't given them an answer or their pastor hasn't given them an answer or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there's a fear among some Christians to dig into these questions because they're afraid that they won't find adequate answers. I think that's a very real thing. Like people are nervous yeah. about. Well, if I actually look at how the New Testament came together, maybe I'm not gonna right trust it anymore. And- or, Right. But but people before us have done this. They've asked these questions and they've done the hard work. Right. Like we don't like we have it easy in mm-hmm. some instances. Right. Like people have have explored these things already for us. Yeah. Well, here's here's how far I would take that. If you're afraid that what you claim to be truth isn't truth, you need to let it go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you, if if I did, if I did a study that categorically disproved my faith, I would have no option but to let it go. Right. I don't I don't I've already said it would be a waste of time. Mm. Right? Like what's the point in clinging to something that's futile? Mhm. Mhm. Right? Yeah. And and if your fear of seeking out truth is that you believe that that's what you're going to find, you might not believe. Right. Yeah. You might just be going with the flow for whatever reason, right? Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good insight, right? Um, now, here, like, that doesn't mean that we're, we are able to explain absolutely everything, right? And, there yeah. are limits to human knowledge here, right? And it doesn't mean that if you can't explain all things, then right. you're not a believer. The point is to say, if you're genuinely afraid mm-hmm. that studying is going to disprove what you believe, yeah. then you don't believe it to be true. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why you don't want to look into it. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so we don't need to be afraid of questions. We don't need to be afraid of critics. Um, you know, apologetics is important. It's helpful, helpful for us, helpful for those we care about and love. And it's helpful in being better witnesses to the, mm-hmm. the world. 
Um, do we want to talk a little bit about like kind of the historical overview? Like just kind of like, I mean, not we don't. Have to yeah, I, I think here. we should. I, I mean, we we just came off off of a year of church history. Mm-hmm. So for those who were a part of that, the, some of these names are going to be yeah. uh, familiar, hopefully. Yeah. Um, generally, when people talk about, we, we already talked about biblical apologetics. Yeah, well, the in, book in, of in Luke, the, the book of Luke and Acts is essentially an apologetics. It's a work of apologetics, right? You read the intro, and and Luke's like, "Hey, so like, I did a bunch of research and looked deep into this, and like, interviewed all these people to compile like a systematic narrative so that you can be certain of the things that you're being taught." Like, right. It's literally apologetics. The Gospel of John. Sure. Yes. Yeah, starts. It's with, not at the beginning. It's at the end. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. It, it ends with. We wrote these things so that you would believe. Mm-hmm. And there's much more that we couldn't write about. Yeah. Right? Yep. So apologetics within the Bible we've already discussed. Uh, from the very beginning, though, when when Rome is coming after the church, I mean, yeah. h- hold on, another huge moment, sorry, another huge moment of apologetics within Scripture, the Jews coming against the church, the book of Hebrews. Okay, yeah. Right? Explaining to the those Jewish believers continue in the faith, not come to the faith, but continue in the faith because of these facts. Right. Look at it, right? Or Paul in the Areopagus using, quoting Stoic philosophers, Mm -hmm. using like, like extra biblical philosophy to support his gospel message, which is like Mm -hmm. wild. Right. Yeah. Right. I just, yeah, Yeah. sorry. We've hammered that nail. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Early church, the most famous is Justin Martyr. Yeah. That's the first one that comes off of uh, people's tongues. Yeah. Because he had to answer the emperor. Yeah. Or didn't have to. Yeah, but some of the things, too, that are funny, like, not well, not funny haha, but funny, interesting, I guess, is, like, the things that the church was being condemned of were, Mm -hmm. like, not things that we are today. Like, they were being condemned of, like, uh, cannibalism. Right, it's right? the contextualization Because the right? Lord's Supper, right? People are like, well, they're eating their Lord's body and drinking his blood. Like, right. These are a bunch of like vampires or something. Or, or, you know, it was common practice in the early church for even husbands and wives to refer to each other as brother and sister in, right. in Christ. And yeah. they're like, they're all incestuous. Like, they're all marrying their brothers and sisters, right? Like, what is going on, right? So, the, so like, some of the early apologists are literally just, like, explaining that. Yeah. Like, no, actually, we're not... We're not brothers and sisters in that way. But. And, and so, and the, the other one was that they were atheists. Right. Yeah. They didn't believe in any God. Yeah. Right. And so, so Justin and, and the early apologists are just writing in and being like, hey, listen, I, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. This is, this is the disconnect. Mm-hmm. And this is where you realize we're not what you think we are. Right. Right. <laughs> because the point then was to say, these people are a detriment to society. Mm. What society wants incestuous cannibal atheists running around and spreading <laughs> in in vast numbers their message, right? Right, right. This is a dangerous thing. The kind of thing societies should be concerned about. Right. And so they write in to say, hey, would you mind not killing us mm-hmm. in mass because of a misunderstanding. Right. Here's the misunderstanding. Right. Right. Come to find out all of the whole misunderstanding thing was a bit of a guise. They didn't care. Yeah. They just right. Like You're just not worshiping the emperor. And that's, <laughs> that's, what, we real, de- that's, that's what we demand of yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of this other stuff. So all of this other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. We're still coming after Polycarp. Yeah. Because he won't 
bow and worship the emperor. Yeah. Right? Oh, it, it doesn't really have to do with all these other things. This is just... This is I just think, cover for. <laughs> I, I think what I think what that thing what that kind of does is it helps them keep face in society, mm-hmm. right? Because Rome had conquered so many different cultures mm-hmm. that if they could just keep pushing that, people would be like, "All right, I'm not down with that either," right? Uh, so it ends up not being fruitful. I mean, it's not a surprise. His name is Justin Martyr. Um, bit of a spoiler there. <laughs> His mom so, didn't. His mom didn't <laughs> <do> that. No. <laughs> no. Uh, interestingly enough, though, martyr just means witness. That's true. I mean, it does, but it's again it, it, the Greek word martyr. Yeah, the Greek word. Witness. Yeah. How it how it's been adopted is different. Yeah. Um, but how it was originally used. Yeah. Well, because those who spoke publicly about their faith were, yep, many were executed, so it came, became synonymous. So. So that's the earliest that, right. that people generally jump to. Sure, yeah. In, the, in that sort of contextual, yeah. who would you go to next? Well, there's a there's the, in the era of Justin Martyr, there's a bunch of guys. Oh okay. yeah. The next big player, probably Augustine. Yeah. Like like again, and I, I'm skipping over names, but just because we're fast forwarding then to the the Roman em- Empire has you know legalized and is now promoting Christianity. So then mm-hmm. you have Augustine. It, with like city of God, right? Talking about kind of the the conflict in in worldviews between the people of God and the people of the world, and and kind of navigating those those tensions and, and struggles and whatnot. So yeah, so Augustine is probably a big one. Yeah, and, and interesting. The interesting thing about Augustine is he comes from a history of secular philosophy. Yep. Right. Like that's his foundation. Yep. A lot of his apologetics aren't against that, though. A lot of his apologetics are internal within the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Handling, yeah, that's true. Actually, he does. He does kind of. He goes after a lot of. Um, well, it's it, it, it's reinforcing the church and what they believe, mm-hmm. and it's coming against her, heretics as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there is there is a lot of that. I'm um, just saying it's not against a secular worldview. It's against. Right, a false worldview. Uh, yeah, a false view within the church. Yeah, yeah, and then from there, I mean, skipping ahead to the Middle Ages, I mean, you've got uh, Anselm of Canterbury. Uh, he's the one who came up with the ontological argument for the existence of God. Um, if you don't know what that means, hang around. Yeah, and you'll find out soon. Um, Thomas Aquinas is another guy from mm-hmm. the Middle Ages. Um, these guys just. Brilliant, brilliant. When you read, whether it's Augustine or whether it's Aquinas or Anselm, like you read these these works that are written like you know eight hundred or a thousand or like sixteen hundred years ago, and you're blown away by the intelligence of these men, right? And it really, for me, when I've engaged with a lot of these ancient writers, like it's really been. Uh, now I'm getting back into history podcast mode, but it's been humbling for me just because like these men are so brilliant and the whole like generational arrogance of mm-hmm. like, we are the most enlightened and intelligent people to have ever fa- we can walk the face of the earth. Like, no, we're the most technologically advanced. Yeah. They we're did more de- with, they did more with less. Yeah. Yes. When it comes to thought. Yeah. yeah our brains are, are nowhere. Yeah. We are not firing at their, yeah, at their level. Because, <laughs> because we have, we have their work to stand on. Right. It should be an upward flow mm-hmm. of the chart. Yeah. Just oh. a gradual incline, but that's just not how it works. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even when you when you look at uh, people who would comment on the concept of the Dark Ages, mm. right? 
they use these Christian thinkers as evidence against using the statement, the Dark Ages, mm. right? To say, right. no, there, there were these brilliant people um, who all just happened to be Christian thinkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving on from there, you get into the Reformation. Yep. John Calvin. Sure. Yeah, oh, for sure. So Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Faith mm-hmm. is a work of apologetics. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. So, so at this point, we have war that is breaking out. Yeah. Okay, definitely you have to go to Martin Luther, right? Yep. Yep, Martin Luther, sure. when he is at the Diet of Worms, mm-hmm. and he's having these conversations about uh, his understanding of the solas. Yep. It's all apologetics, mm-hmm. right? They're saying this is not what the church teaches, and he's saying, "This is what has, this is what is scripturally proven to be true, mm-hmm. and it resonates with the experience of life." Mm-hmm. Here I stand; I can do no el- nothing else, right? right? Right. And and so that is that is an apologetic. Uh, but at this point, we have war breaking out mm-hmm. between the Reformed Church and the Catholic Church, and people literally losing their lives based on what side they're on right. in this argument. Right. And Calvin can't go back to France right? because it's Catholic, ruled by the Catholics. So he's in Geneva, and he writes the Institute's Christian Faith to say, this is what the church has always believed. What are you doing? Right, right. Why are you killing people? <laughs> For believing <laughs> what the church has always believed. Yeah, that's no, true. I just want to come home. <laughs> Leave <Yeah>. me alone. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> and 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 it grows into a you know what, here's an interesting observation I've never I've never considered before. It grows into what is one of the first pr- when it when it comes to just like primary and continually circulated systematic theologies. So when we talk about systematic theology and we talk about uh, a system that explains the Christian faith and why we understand it and how we practice it, mm-hmm. I think when when you give most people one guess, one statement on Calvin's Institutes, they would say it's a systematic theology. Right. But that it was written as an apologetic. Mm just shows how right. intrinsically connected right. yeah. apologetics and systematic theology yeah. are. Yeah, no, they're definitely connected. To the point that I would say we've come to confuse a work of apologetics as a systematic theology. Hmm. And maybe even in its later renditions grows into that, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe maybe it feels that way because it. I think it does get, re, he rewrites it. Yeah, like he does yeah, three or four times. Yeah, he expands it, and yeah, he and does. so maybe the expansions become more about him teaching his people mm-hmm. there in Geneva at the at the seminary there. Yeah, I um, think the the King of France ceases to be the primary audience, right? Past a certain point, I think. Yeah, but just that segue just shows mm-hmm. how closely connected these things are. Yeah, yeah, and so and then so beyond the, I mean, the, beyond the Reformation, you get into kind of you know the Enlightenment, and you have. You know, you have you have prominent philosophers who who are defending Christianity and, and great great thinkers like uh, Pascal is one, Blaise Pascal, mm-hmm. um, and others. Like, I mean, they're like they are there are people who are kind of like uh, influential in a variety 
of areas um, who who defend Christianity intelligently mm-hmm. um, when you know when it you know it, it was falling out of style, right? And people were kind of exchanging uh, Christian belief for you know deism or whatever else. Um, and then yeah, so I mean, throughout the Enlightenment, it was kind of like a renewed. You know, people were like, "Oh, we've outgrown this antiquated Christian way of thinking," which is exactly what so many people are kind of coming to now, right? Right. Or, or, or really, they think it's new, but it's not new. It's been around for like three hundred, four hundred years. It's, it's, it's not new at all, right? Um, and and I would I would even say, just just a quick morsel because we'll sure. we'll get into it more later. The argument that something cannot be true because it's old. Mm. is so turned on its head. Mm. If it were new, it could not be absolutely true as a foundational point of existence. Right. Right? Because where was this truth during the rest of existence, right? Right, right, right. right. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me when people are like, oh, because it's old, it doesn't, it's not true anymore. Right. Right? Understanding of like, and, and then at the same time, we're like, people have been farming this way for tens of thousands of millions of billions of years, and and it's just tried and true. Yeah, and you're we need like, to go back to mm. natural remedies for medicine, but <laughs> yeah, which is fine. Like I'm I'm all for that, but it's just funny. Like people pick and choose. Like yeah, some old do. things are good, and some old things are not. I yeah. Guess. So we we've, we've talked about some historical things uh, moments. Let's talk really quickly mm-hmm. about. Some of your favorite works of apologetics, favorite apologists now, just because, like you said, we're gonna we're gonna be hitting some some big themes. Right. Uh, our goal in this is to uh, to do a co- to do two things really. One, we want to explain things in a way that wherever you're at, you can jump in, you can follow along, sure, and you can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also understand that our audience is not illiterate, right? Right, and and I think it's I think it's a fault of the church that we mm-hmm. feel like everything needs to be taught at a sixth grade level, right? Um, so we want it. We want to be able to to talk there at a really accessible place, but we also want to expand, right? So True. we are going to get weedy. We are going to get academic. We're going to try to blend the two mm-hmm. uh, well. And um, and I, I think that's important, but we're not going to be able to talk about everything. We're not going to be able to answer every question. Uh, through the year, as we talk about different things, we can point out particular works that might handle a specific topic. Sure, yeah. But just having good, trustworthy, general resources that allow people to explore. Right. I, I think is a handy thing to give right off the top. Mm. Uh, so who are some of the people that you go to or some of the works that you would go to to, to recommend? Right. So for apologetics, um, I mean, one of the best right now, probably William Lane Craig. I love William Lane Craig. Yeah. Um, Here, here's, the, here's the disclaimer I'd give on William Lane Craig. Mm-hmm. William Lane Craig is the kind of smart who doesn't understand why you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes, not always, not to yeah. a fault, I don't want to scare anyone off, I want to actually send people sure. to William Lane Craig. Uh, 
sometimes you listen to him and you're like, I got to back that up again. Mm. Right? Mm. Like the man is literally a walking encyclopedia yeah. and and is just the level of intelligence that sometimes just talks right over your head right. and you've got to go back. But when you go back and you realize what he's saying, man, he's got some great stuff. Oh, yeah. And his debate style, I, I've heard people say that he can be a little bit brash and harsh. Mm. I, I don't think yeah. he's I don't think he's trying to be. I think he's just he's just a computer with legs. And he's just capable of processing these things and just being matter of fact. Yeah. Right? Like one of my favorite moments in William Lane Craig is he's debating this naturalist. Okay. And he's like, So you believe that there's nothing that is not natural. There is no supernatural. Mm. And the man responds very snidely, like, that's what it means to be a naturalist. You understand this. <laughs> and William Lane Craig goes, okay, so you understand that nature then, as a physical entity, has boundaries. And he said, well, of course, nature can't be infinite. And he's like, all right, boundaries presume something existent beyond boundaries. What exists beyond the boundaries? Right. <laughs> and the guy just goes... That's a silly question. He's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Answer the question. And, and the, guy, the guy's like, probably more nature. He's like, well, then you just haven't gotten to the end of the boundaries. Right. What are right. you talking about? Right, right. right. <laughs> Beautiful moment of just the sort of logical reasoning. Right. I think he's, Biola University is where he was. Oh, okay. He runs, he runs a YouTube uh, podcast called Reasonable Faith. Yeah. I think is the name of it. Yeah. It's really great. I have uh, a reasonable response. One of his books here. Nice. I recommend watching him on YouTube. Okay. Over reading his books. Yep. Uh, sometimes he's more accessible in person than mm -hmm. he is on paper. Right. Yeah. yeah. But Lane Craig is. He, I would say. Yeah. One A. An another guy who people might not be as familiar, but I've read some of his stuff um, for school. He's actually Roman Catholic, but he's excellent. His name is Peter Kreeft. K R E E F T, um, Christian philosopher and apologist. He's written books on like Christian apologetics, like the the Christian apologetics handbook and and mm -hmm. and things like that. So he is, um, he's just another guy, uh, contemporary guy who who is really good to go to. I have um, on in front of me here a couple books by a guy named um, Ronald Nash, who. Um, is I got into uh, in regards to worldview stuff, which I think is yeah. under underpinning the of the of apologetics. So um, he wrote "Life's Ultimate Questions" and "Worldviews in Conflict" are the two of the books that I have just on my shelf. He's written way more than that, but uh, those are both like super accessible. Um, you don't have to be a you know a brainiac to to work your way through that stuff, and it just gives you a good like foundational understanding of what worldview is, what the Christian worldview is, and how it's different than other worldviews, and, and mm -hmm. um, why it's superior, <laughs> or why we would say it's superior. Um, and that, so then that's when it starts to touch on, on apologetics, right? We, we have better answers. In our, world, our worldview made up of, of you know, answers to the life's biggest questions, we have, we have good answers to those questions. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he's, he's, I guess, one more that I would have that maybe wouldn't be at the top of most people's list. But uh, yeah, Ronald Ronald Nash. Yeah, I, I think popularly known guy Strobel, mm. right? Lee Strobel has a case for Christ was the first, and, and okay. now he's got a case for most everything. 
um, investigative yeah. journalist yeah, who great. just wasn't having the fact that his wife had become a Christian. Right. This is all nonsense, and I just need to explain it to you as nonsense so that we can just move on from this. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through was just like, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, there there it's are wild. actually answers right it's yeah. a it's an incredible story it, it's what it's what a lot of people hope apologetics does mm. right that it just becomes that i answered your question and now you believe kind of a thing which does happen sure yeah it can happen for sure right it happened for strobel it happened for yeah. c.s lewis yeah yeah who should also be on the list c.s lewis c.s mm-hmm. lewis um yeah c.s lewis is one of these guys that like Honestly, don't go to him necessarily for your like in-depth theology stuff. Like he gets a little off off base on some things, mm-hmm. but man, the guy can paint pictures with his words that could just yeah. really drive a point home in a really really special way. Um, like if you like me, like for example, mere Christianity, kind of the like the go-to, like that is amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, there's gonna be he there's some there's some things with C.S. Lewis like theologically that you know wouldn't be completely 100 percent in line with him with any of these guys we've listed to be honest right even even uh, William Lane Craig right like is a Mullinist yeah like it's whatever like it's fine yeah. like on these secondary tertiary issues but like these guys know how to defend the faith and they're worth they're worth listening to and 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 um, yeah hearing what they have to say yeah so I I want to I want to explain this before it sounds like. We're saying just receive from anyone and right. don't worry about it. <laughs> Molinism is an attempt to bridge the gap between Arminianism and Calvinism. Right. Um, I don't. I don't think that it's problematic. I don't agree with it. It's whatever. But yeah. So so when we say when we say that, we're not saying like William Lane Craig is into some really rough stuff and and you've got to be careful of him and don't let him speak in your church. We're we're just saying. I don't agree with everything that the guy says, right? Right, right? Lewis, Lewis would even, I think, agree with your statement. You're reading about him. Mm. Uh, I, I think if we if we understand the story of Lewis well, right? He was he was a secular apologist, mm. right? Yeah, he that was. was his role, and he, he was, was get he was writing very much like Lee Strobel, uh, but in a but in a very different way. So as as a professor at is it Columbia, Oxford? Anyway. As a professor, he's preparing a BBC radio show for secular apologetics. Yeah. Right? This is why you should stop believing in Christianity. And he sits down to write the show in these various episodes, Hmm. which come to be the various chapters inside of, uh, oh my goodness. Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And... And he's just like, you know what, all these things that I set out to disprove, even though he had been in the work of disproving, right? All these things mm. he set out to disprove had just sort of turned on him. Right. So so he's much older when he comes to faith, right? And right. has a lot of growing to do. Right. He, he's great for apologetics. Yeah. Because he can explain what brought him into faith. Mm-hmm. When it starts getting into deeper theological points. Right. I even feel like he veers away from it a little bit just to say, I'm growing in this. Right, right. I've not been in this as long as others. Mm-hmm. Not my field. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I, I think that's a fair read of C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Augustine kind of starts that way, but Augustine just goes deep dive into the priesthood, right? Yeah. Lewis never leaves leaves academia. Right, right. So, so yeah, those are those are some really good names. Uh, some class, more classical kind of guys. Um, Herman Bavink. Oh yeah. If you yeah. like your Dutch guys. Yeah. Uh, Francis Schaeffer. Yeah. How know. then shall we live? Yeah, that's a good one. What I love about that is is not only does he explain the apologetic, one of my favorite books that he has uh, is just based on Genesis one through eleven. Okay. The primeval pro- prologue. Yep. Uh, where he just builds an apologetic, it's a really short book, builds an apologetic defense for the faith just based on those 11 chapters, Okay, which cool. is just great. Um, but those are some some older guys to follow. Newer guys, John Lennox. Oh, yeah. John, John C. Lennox, yeah. Here's the thing with John Lennox. He's so different than William Lane Craig. Mm. Whereas William Lane Craig can be a little bit abrupt, Mm-hmm. And matter of fact and abrasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Lennox is a professor, again, Oxford, I think. Okay. Um, and he he just feels like your grandpa. <laughs> Not like that. yours specifically, yeah, but yeah. like everyone's. I know what you're I know what right? You're he just has this this granddad sort That's of hilarious. Like, like maybe your granddad was brash and abrasive. I don't know. But no, but no. what you would hope your granddad would be, right? Just this loving teddy bear of a guy yeah. who's going to just drop truth bombs on you and then make you glad that he made you look stupid, right? <laughs> he, could, he could make you look like a fool in front of everyone yeah. and then be like, you, you would hear that and go, I want to give you a hug. <laughs> Do you want to come over for dinner? <laughs> right. I think we're best friends, right? He's just awesome that yeah, way. That's great. These great little one-liner kind of things uh, that he does are really good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, John Lennox, if you can find a, a teaching or a debate from him, mm-hmm. it's generally gold. Nice. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that wraps it up. Yeah. And I think uh, next time we'll start digging into it. Uh, as we should. That's the plan. All right. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See you.